Welcome to Roger and Me, a celebration of the late, great Roger Ebert that aims to keep his unique spirit of film criticism alive uh, by reviewing movies every week, just as he and Gene Siskel would and Richard Roper would and any of the guest, guest hosts that happened in between. Uh, I used to say every Tuesday, we'll revisit an old episode of the show and talk about those movies. And every Friday, we'll review all the new movies. But the Tuesday portion of the show, since I basically had a schedule of the first, I think it was, I don't know, four or five weeks. And once those ran out and I had to schedule the rest of it, I did try to. And I had the first three or four scheduled, but every single one of them ended up not working out at the right time. So the rewatch element will return. And I'm going to get ahead of it, so there, when, when it does return, there will not be any gaps. But for now, I hope you're satiated with Mark Dusick and I every week going Siskel and Ebert mode, as I've been known to call it, where it just means we're reviewing movies. All we're doing here is reviewing all the new movies that come out every Friday. There are many podcasts like it, but this one is mine. There are many YouTube shows like it, etc., but that's what we're here for. And this week, there are nine new releases, if you count the one on streaming that we may or may not get to. Ooh, that's a little fun element to the show. Will we or will we not talk about a ninth movie? But there's definitely eight movies that are out theatrically this week. And we're going to talk about every one of them. And I don't think we've got time to waste today, unless Mark has any housekeeping notes i have no housekeeping notes except i think i'm the one who screwed up your tuesday schedule because i was busy the whole week and so i'm well, sorry about that were, that's okay you were i mean i that's the issue with doing this podcast that's a like labor intensive in terms of labor being watching a lot of movies yeah. and it's also you know twice a week so i'm driving myself nuts with the schedule and i it's it's insane of me to think anyone else would would like abide that and want to also watch that many movies. So I don't blame anybody for the scheduling issues. Charles Bromesco was going to be on to talk about... We had a whole episode picked out, and I actually watched most of the movies for it. Uh, it, it was the week that Mamma Mia came out, which I think more famously is the weekend that The Dark Knight came out. <laughs> or, if you're nasty, the weekend that Space Chimps came out. Or oh uh, Trans-Siberian... I th it was a crazy weekend, but Charles had to go to TIFF Film Festival, so that didn't happen. So I'm just saying, we will do the rewatches, and tweet at me if that's why you're here and you don't care about this. I don't know if Roger and me is the right place for Mark and R to be doing these reviews. Maybe there's a better place, but I'm happy here. I think Mark's happy here. I, at least... I am definitely enjoying doing this. Great. Me yeah, too. I've wanted to do something like this for so long. So me too, nice. man. I've, you know, I've done my little horror show and I'm, I love it and I'm still doing it, but I watch so much more than just horror movies. So it's nice to have an actual place where it's like, oh yeah, I have a show where I talk about everything and I could, you know, try to get that actual film critic status. I see everything. We're going to, we're going to do it. So let's start with, not quite the biggest release of the year or of the weekend. Definitely not the biggest Definitely not the year. <laughs> Arguably not even the biggest of the weekend. Definitely not. But if this were the horror show, it would be the biggest one. But it is it is a horror adjacent film. I might have been gonna call it a horror film. We'll get into that. It's Pearl, Ty West's I'm gonna say stealth prequel to X that was filmed like 
X was filmed. They took, a, I think, a two-week break or a three-week break or something. And then they filmed Pearl. I was at a screening where Ty West explained all of this and how the movie came to be. We can get into that if we need to. But here's the trailer for Pearl, which, again, is a stealth prequel to a movie that came out this year. When did X come out? In, like, March? It was six months ago. So Six months ago. I can only remember that because I wrote it down. So Yeah, so six months ago, X comes out. And six months later, we have an entire new movie in this quote-unquote franchise. And spoiler alert, they just announced a third one that is to be shot, hasn't been shot yet, uh, called Maxine. So you can glean a lot from that title if you watched X. But here's the trailer for Pearl. This movie is so convoluted, just trying to explain what it is. But my wife went and saw it, and she hadn't seen X. And... It works, I think, as its own movie, or does it not work as its own movie? Question to be answered in just a minute. Here we go. Please, Lord, make me the biggest star the world has ever known, so that I'll make it far, far away from this place. Well, caring for your family during these times is admirable, but you only get one take at this life. If only they would just die. Pardon? Nothing. special dancing up on the screen like the pretty girls in the pictures i will not let you leave this farm again pearl a film by ty west shot in if this if, if this came out in the 50s it would say in glorious technicolor uh mark what is pearl and I know we're going to end up talking about X. So give me your th- feelings on X at some point in there, too. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of, I don't even know if you have to, but I mean, if you've seen X, all of this is going to feel a little bit redundant and a little bit, um, you know exactly what's coming, even if you don't know what the specifics are going to be. Because Pearl is an origin story, essentially, of the main villain from X, who in X is this older woman who seems to be uh, enraged by the very concepts of youth and all the promise that comes with it. And in this one, it tries to explain how that comes about. So Pearl, played by Mia Goth, as she was in the original. Spoiler alert for if you haven't seen X, but that was like a big surprise is that Mia Goth was playing two roles in this, one of them under a lot of old age makeup, which was really effective. Um, just to kind of get at that part of it, at least. Um, so Mia Goth plays Pearl, who is uh, in 1918, I believe it's going during the Great War and technically the Kansas influenza epidemic. Um <laughs> the worldwide epidemic that killed so many people. Um, And she's has dreams of becoming a dancer, but her husband who will later become her uh, partner in crime in X is off at war. And um, she's just kind of hanging out with her parents. One of them is, has suffered. Her father has suffered. It seems a stroke and is, you know, needs to be taken care of. Um, Her mother is very, um, Protestant work ethic, I guess, would be the best way to put it. She's very much into that and doesn't believe that her daughter should be trying to become a dancer in the motion pictures. Her daughter shouldn't be out learning how to dance. She should be home cleaning up her father who shit himself because he can't can't clean it himself. 
Yeah, exactly. So basically, Pearl just, you know, eventually snaps. And um, that's that's really it. I mean, it's it is shot incredibly well. It looks gorgeous. There's this really I mean, you know, West is very, very good at setting up a shot and setting up a scare sequence and setting up all of that. And that opening shot of just this closed barn door. And when it all opens up and you see these bright colors and this like pink clouded sunrise or wherever it is, dust twilight. Well, I don't even know what time of day it is, but it's like the perfect time of day to shoot this. And it's the farmhouse from X, but it looks, you know, so much better in terms of it's uh, upkeep and everything. And you're like, yeah, okay, what are you going to do with this? Um, yeah. So it looks great. Uh, goth is quite good here. I'm not hundred percent sold on whether or not Pearl as a character really needs this kind of origin story. And I think that's my biggest issue with the movie is that it just really feels as if it's, it's, it's the problem we have with all of the movies trying to explain like famous killers. Like I'm not a fan of what Rob Zombie did with Halloween. Uh, I'm oh. not a fan of any of the attempts to explain Leatherface or someone adjacent to Leatherface. And then you find out Leatherface was somebody else entirely. Yeah, I'm not a fan that was of a these. fun bait and switch. Uh, that's a uh, uh, lion's gates, Leatherface from 20 God, 17. I think it's, awful if you're curious it's really really bad but i have i just have this issue like what are we getting out of learning the origin of these famous or you know recent killers and movies you just you just find out like there are certain things that make them snap and you know that from the movies themselves that they're in um it doesn't it doesn't explain too much um i don't know it's 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 hard to really get into detail without just saying exactly what happens in the movie. But I really feel as if everybody's going to know exactly what's going to happen. As soon as you realize it is a horror movie, either from having seen X or almost like within what, like five minutes of Pearl, it makes it pretty clear that that's going to happen. Yeah. So I agree with everything you're saying. This, the idea seems to be that Ty West, you know, made X, which is like this homage to like, independent film particularly like independent horror cinema like going in like a toby hooper making a texas chainsaw massacre type of thing like that's what that movie was paying homage to and this one seems to be the idea is like let's pay homage to like classic 50s hollywood movies like a like a douglas cirque melodrama or even something like the wizard of oz which i feel like is emulated pretty heavily here um but what if a circian melodrama but done as a slasher origin story that sounds on paper like something that would totally work for me because i love both those things but it didn't it really didn't work for me it did surprisingly little for me despite the fact that i think mia goth is wonderful and it does have its moments in particularly a final shot over the credits that is just hilarious but also just kind of proves the whole thing to be like a cheap trick and kind of like a gag and I would say an argument could be made that this movie cheapens X rather than enhances it. But I would say it's more like harmless, I would say harmless DLC, which if you're a video gamer, you know that means downloadable content, which usually means an add-on that didn't come with the movie, but that is like an extra level for you to play. Uh, and it feels like that. It, it's and, and Ty West explained it as such. Like he said, you know... We were going off 
to shoot this to shoot X in New Zealand. A twenty four had paid for, and you know, they were making X, and he said, you know, they had been out there scouting and making the sets or whatever. And he goes, it was such a fun experience, like getting everything ready for X. And we were like, it was, it was, it was just post COVID, and they're like, we don't know when we're gonna get a chance to make a movie again. So what if we made a second movie? that was kind of this origin story for Pearl. And you know what? Ty said, if, if A24 doesn't go for it, Mia, don't worry. We will have had this fun exercise where you and I um, wrote a backstory for this character. And we'll have that. And this was all before they shot X. So it's all like beneficial. And then it turns out they had, I think it was, he said, a two-week quarantine period when you travel to go do this. So he had that two-week period and he and her... And she and him via Zoom or whatever would wrote this wrote this together, and that like once you hear all that and then you watch the movie, you're just like, oh yeah, this reeks of a movie where they're like, well, we're already here, and the set's gonna go to waste, and the actors are already here, so let's write something to get us paid a little longer, you know? And like, it never really transcends the this is an amusing pandemic era oddity. It just never quite justifies its existence for all the reasons you said. Like, I think it cheapens X because, like, I don't need the fucking origin story. I thought X did a great job of setting up its dichotomy between Maxine and Pearl. And, like, you got all that this movie's trying to tell you about Pearl in X. It just kind of feels like a laborious exercise to go through it all and be like, Oh well, you know, Pearl kills someone with an with a pitchfork or whatever in in X. So naturally, it's one of those prequel things where it's like she probably did it before, right? It just feels like it's answering all these questions nobody had an- like nobody was asking. Like there's a there's a submerged car in the water in X that I, you know, I always be like, "Hmm, it's an allusion to Psycho." You know, the 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 car is sticking in the water. Just like a who cares? And then this movie, of course, you get the origin of the car in the in the water, and it's just—I totally agree. I, I wish I enjoyed this more. There are people who are calling this like gory and saying it's terrifying, and I—I I have no idea what movie they watched, Mark, because I did not find this movie scary in the least. I it, it, there's there's a notable gory moment, and it happens at the very end as like the transition into like the movie that we're expecting it to be, which is a horror movie. But like it's definitely on an operative level, just trying to be this classic Hollywood movie about a girl following her dreams or something. But it's like, what if we did that and it doesn't pan out and it didn't work out for her? And uh, it actually, like, what does it reveal about the industry? What is it like? That is a kind of a question I left with. I'm like, this movie doesn't reveal anything new about like, oh yeah, the Hollywood or whatever, quote unquote, the movies, the industry doesn't care about a person like like Mia Goth and the movie the movie seems to like imply that she's bad right that she's like not good at dancing like her it's audition is tell. played for laughs yeah. it's hard to tell yeah. I couldn't tell if it was played I mean it is played for laughs but like is it played for laughs for us the audience or like the on screen or the, is it played for laughs for them I just I had questions about it and then it also you're inherently you're watching a movie where someone's going to transform into a serial killer by the end and you're like what is the message about like people who are the jealous the jealous type who don't make it in hollywood like they're all murderous people it's just like i think it was trying to be empathetic but it ended up being like not exploitive but something it just didn't it rubbed me the wrong way 
and so, something's missing yeah. from it for sure i mean there's I, I there is no it's really difficult except for the fact that she wants to get into the movies it's there's really no connection between the filmmaking element of x it's just about someone with a dream to get into the movies sort of like the characters from x but they're making a movie and i don't yes i, I mean this it's movie's weird. illusion this movie's like it's, love for film is 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 displayed there's a character who's called just the projectionist and this yeah and it's like with the first love of hers or whatever you want to call it yeah and like he encourages her to get into the movies and like you see the magic of movies via her seeing them. And like, I, I don't know. I love, I just like love the, I just love the, I the, the, all the elements of this movie. It's just when you're watching it and it's it just like, you realize halfway through or like when it's about to end, you're like, Oh, this is really all it's going to be, huh? Like, yeah, it really can't be anything more than that either. And I would argue my wife liked it a little more than me, which makes me think, would this work better? Had I not seen X? I was curious about that because I saw on, you know, you were on Twitter and you were saying that, you know, you're going to see it with your wife who hadn't seen X and you were trying to explain it. I'm like, I'm actually kind of, I almost tweeted you and said, don't explain anything. Yeah. I'm curious how it's going to play without any knowledge of X because having knowledge of X, you are like, you are set up all the way through to know exactly what is going to happen to this character. Again, even if you don't know the specifics and I like some of the specifics, I like the style of it the performances are really good beyond mia goth there's yeah. um a really good emma jenkins Puro, i believe is how you pronounce it she yes. plays her sister-in-law she's great in this um you know mia goth has this really long monologue Ugh, that scene feels, is kind of what took me out of it really it goes like, on way too long it restates it its point like yeah. three times mm -hmm. but her reaction to that monologue is priceless that was the thing that got me like okay that was that was that was the the actual shot. That was the actual performance yeah. in that scene. Is it, when it cuts away to the sister in law reacting to it. I just thought that whole thing was so unearned because like you're all waiting, we're all waiting for that shot, and like he he withholds on it, and then he gives it to you, and it was it was funny enough. But I don't yeah. know. I just wanted it, that scene encapsulates everything I wanted from this movie, and that it it was it just it, I wanted more from it. And yeah. like I get that the whole point of the movie is to have the facade and setting of this classic movie and then to constantly subvert it. Like that opening scene, it's all beautiful and uh, nature-y. And then she like kills a goose with a pitchfork and feeds it to an alligator. And like that's the <laughs> title card. And like that's a gr that's a great gag, but like that is the movie in a nutshell. Like that's the yeah. whole thing. It's just like it's gonna keep doing those things, like we're gonna present it this way, but we're gonna subvert it this way. And you know, for given what it, if you're if you're judging it for what it is, like extra credit for X, like uh, uh, a bonus chapter of explaining more about this character for X. I think it worked like it's OK on that merit, I guess. But that like inherently for me, I'm judging it like not as a movie because I'm judging it as a movie on its own. I don't think it works as a prequel to X because I don't think it needed it. And then on its own, I don't think it really adds up to much other than you're watching a person like become like you're, it's like breaking bad or something. <laughs> Except much shorter, much, uh, much shorter. Yeah. Yes. And there at least a lot of questions. I'm curious about, you know, X has the, the villains that are X. It's not just Pearl. It's also the husband and that that dynamic and that relationship. And this one sets up, right at the last moment it sets up a really tantalizing idea about what that relationship could have looked like in the past and i mean i hate to say it but a sequel to the prequel 
which explores that dynamic might be more interesting than the prequel alone. Um, I don't want to give anybody yeah. too many ideas before we get, you know, an X extended universe or something, but uh, an extended universe, if you will. It was right there. <laughs> Triple X extended <laughs> I, universe. Yes. I didn't grab it. But yeah. yeah. This is somewhere between like Henry portrait of a serial killer and like some sort of satire about uh the business yeah um i just wish it amounted to more like i I love all the ideas presented and like how it's a story about the people who don't make it in hollywood and like just turning that into a into a sleazy trashy movie but i just don't think it amounts to much after all is said and done and i'm glad we're going in this order because i think the next movie is oddly fitting of i actually saw it this way as a double feature (laughs) and i think it fits like you could watch blonde from the perspective of okay so pearl made it pearl got to the movies now then what happened (laughs) so arguably pearl's life would have been worse we'll see uh here's the trailer for the gonna be very controversial netflix movie blonde which is a Marilyn monroe quote-unquote biopic it is not really a biopic in the traditional sense this is one of the first scripts i ever read as a paid script reader at an agency many years ago and it has stuck in my craw and i'm glad i got to see it on a big screen and it comes to netflix in a week and it is playing exclusively in i'm sure new york and la this weekend uh but it's going to be on netflix next week here's a trailer for blonde how'd you get your start maybe let's start in movies continental but diamonds are a girl's best friend i guess i was discovered men broke home as girls i know you're supposed to get used to it and we all lose our job in the end but i just can't I played Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. I can't face doing another scene with Marilyn Monroe. Oh, I'm excited to talk about this one. Mark, what did you think of Blonde? And then I'm going to ask you what you, what you what think if, of other Andrew Dominic movies. But I want to know oh, about boy. Blonde uh blonde the the short of it is i hated it um <laughs> i i expect i expect the majority of viewers to hate this movie i expect this to be the least finished movie on netflix people are going to start and oh. not finish this movie in insane numbers that they will not yeah. tell us <laughs> yeah they won't they definitely won't be uh explaining those numbers it would be hilarious yeah. if they release the data like here's here's where everyone dropped off in blonde i can predict a few moments there are a few. Um, so Blonde is Blonde has an interesting origin story in that it is uh, based on a Joyce Carol Oates novel, which is sounds feminist. Fictionalized. It's, it's a fictionalized account of Marilyn Monroe's life, and in that, it's I, I haven't read it, and I'm tempted to read it now after seeing the movie because I'm curious. It's it's apparently much longer. Uh, it sounds as if it gets a little bit more in internalized in the character and it's definitely going to be i can tell you right off the bat it's not going to feel as if it's 
telling if it's trying to avoid being a straightforward biography, it's going to do a better job doing it than a movie that literalizes everything yes. where you see Anna de Armas playing Norma Jean and Marilyn and Marilyn is going through all this stuff. And Bobby Cannavale is obviously Joe DiMaggio and Adrian Brody is obviously Arthur Miller and all of these characters and all of these movies. Billy Wilder is obviously Billy Wilder. It feels that watching it, that Andrew Dominic wrote and directed it is making a biography. There's no attempt to try to fictionalize it in any way in terms of uh, visual language or anything like that. And so you are watching this and it feels very much like Marilyn Monroe's story as it's meant to be told. And that story in this movie is absolutely miserable. There is not a single thing of value to her character. The movie dismisses, ignores everything about Marilyn Monroe that made her famous, made her popular, made her an icon that we're still talking about now that they are making this huge movie about now it ignores all of it. And it turns her into a perpetually abused and exploited person who apparently based on the movie itself had little to no talent and any talent that was there gets ignored by the movie. There are maybe like two scenes of an audition and one scene of her on the set of a movie, I think. Yes. And the, then the, the audition, audition scene they make fun of how bad she is as a performer yep. and then say, look at, but look at her, look at her ass. That's what they exactly. Say. And it like, turns into a joke. Yeah. I mean, that is the, I understand. I know you understand that that yep. is what they're going for. And that's yep. the point, but that doesn't, I know that doesn't excuse it for some people. Um, uh, I want to say about the book. I know someone who read it and what I asked him about it after seeing the movie, he said that the novel more thoroughly insists that Marilyn Monroe was a genius whose talents were never fully realized. It actually had her talents on display. Whereas the movie, you don't see that at all. I agree. No. If I have a criticism of this movie, it's that you don't see her talents at all. And the movie doesn't seem to, if you were to tell me that the director like thought she was talentless <laughs> or something, I would be like, okay, like that's like, I do got, I sure that was on screen in that way. But I, I feel like you could argue you know, again, this is the whole point of this movie is like a it's like a blunt force trauma of a movie that is lacks subtlety completely. And like that is beside the point, her talent. It's just about how every man in her life used and abused her to such a degree. Um, and I and I I hesitate to say enjoyed because it's not it is a punishing and undeniably like a tough sit like it's exhausting but i thought it i didn't find it to be without merit even if a lot of its revelations are like the opposite of revelatory you know like it's it's a movie where she's like referencing dostoevsky or something all, all the time and like we're constantly like giving lip service to how the movie is constantly i would say the movie is constantly giving lip service to how smart she was mm -hmm. and how that the world nobody gave a shit and how they, they all thought she was full of shit, that somebody else wrote those things. Even Arthur Miller, it implies that she, like, you know, stealthily helped him write and stuff like that. Uh, so I do think there's some in there where the movie implies that she was smart and talented, I guess. But the main drive of this movie is just that you're watching her from the moment she got to Hollywood. She's raped immediately by the head of the studio or whoever it was. Mm -hmm. And then 
Um, yeah, they try just, to play coy with it, like Mr. Z, and then yeah. they say the name like outright, yeah, like a couple weird. of like, and what, what, like an hour later. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So I'm a huge Nick Cave and Warren Ellis fan. So I love the score of this movie, which felt honestly indistinguishable from the most recent Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds album, Ghostine, and actually Nick Cave and Warren Ellis' side project album, Carnage. It's all very ethereal and haunting and dread-inducing. And I love the score. And I think it, it's so fitting. But this movie is definitely, definitely an act of provocation that may as well flash, does it offend you on like every other screen? And I'd, ar- I'd argue that it works more often than it doesn't. But I can definitely see the argument against it. Um, just being like, what's the point, right? Like, is that where you landed? Like, why show me all this? Because like, it's yeah. a biopic as told. It's like the third act of Mulholland Drive, if it were a biopic. It's yeah. like Firewalk with me, if it were a biopic. Like, it's Lynchian nightmare shit. But, and that's the whole point. He's trying to say like, we have these like mythic figures in American culture and like, look how, look at the real story behind them. Look how they were actually treated and how like, it, it almost implicates. Would you say the movie like implicates the? V- it's trying to implicate the viewer and say the audience is like a part of the problem. There I think is, a lot of people hate the prodding of the, of, like, is, the filmmaker like that. I mean, there's there's a an already infamous scene. Like, um, I think it was like immediately out of the Toronto screening. I think there was already an article. Yeah, Bill Garrett an article about it. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's an infamous scene which um takes a uh, sex act and pulls the camera back to have an audience watching it in big close-up view just as we are and um i mean yeah. oh, i mean yeah i mean going like wow brilliant and then watch that and going wow this guy's in- up his own ass and like <laughs> I, I can't believe this like i, I see both sides of it so yeah. yeah i mean it's just like well i mean yeah of course we're I, but we're watching the movie and the movie is doing exactly what it's doing it just it feels as if it crosses the line of trying to say she was abused and exploited throughout her life by her mother, who was mentally unwell and tried. It's to almost murder like her. she was faded. It was faded, like That's from exact- the moment she was born. She it was, was born to suffer, and yeah. she was born to be exploited. And it just dismisses anything of value to this person that she could have been, and she actually was, because again, we're talking about her right now as a real person who lived and did like some great things, and who's memory and image is going to live on long after we're dead i think um it it just it just feels it feels as if it crosses that line and it starts to become abusive and exploitative of this version of the character who again there's no there's no clear-cut line when you are making a movie like this and presenting it as a biography there's no clear-cut line between fiction and reality when you are literalizing everything on the screen and so it feels as if it is a direct attack on Marilyn Monroe, on Norma Jean Mortensen, or Baker, however, you know, I think Mortensen now. Um, but it's just, it just feels exactly like the movie it's the doing, movie is trying to criticize. Yes, I, it's, it's, it's participating in, it's hypocritical in that yeah. way. Yeah, I really hated it. Um, and I didn't quite realize how much I hated it until See, I started writing about it. I found it. I I find myself liking it more and more the the farther I get away from it because it was such like a revolting experience um, that I, of course I was like I I don't, I don't know what to make of that, but I felt I definitely felt a lot. Um, 
but I, once you realize what he's doing and like that each scene of this movie is like a recreation of like an iconic image from her life mm-hmm. like the seven year itch subway great thing or the the song from gentlemen prefer blondes or there's even just a moment with her with arthur miller wearing this like blue dress and like that's a yeah. picture that exists and yeah. like i love that the movie is taking these moments that we all know and just shoving them in our faces as if to say here's what you saw here's what was likely going on under the surface but like and that's the problem is that this movie's fiction so like it's not that clear cut but his point is clear of like the point he's making um but it's the same point over it's the same and over point again for two, and a, two and a half hours. Two hours and 45 minutes or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and, and at that point, what is it really saying except suffer along with her? Because she 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 needs to suffer so that we can experience I found, her suffering. I, I found like the casting being like of Anna de Armas so interesting itself because she lets her accent slip through. Like, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's very obvious and noticeable and purposeful. In like this movie about performances and and an artificiality, like I definitely feel like the movie's getting at certain parts, like that scene you're talking about, where it where we pan out and we're we're the we're the audience we're watching the audience watch the scene. That could be interpreted as like Anna de Armas just talking as an actress, like playing the role. And I love that this movie's so. I don't want to say experimental, but like avant-garde, it's almost the same word. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just goofy in that way where it's like, yeah, this movie isn't trying to be a traditional biopic. It'd rather be, it's like Elvis in a, in a way. It's like the, uh, the flip side to Elvis. Like Baz Luhrmann made a biopic that was about the industry and how it's lecherous or whatever. And he did it in his Baz Luhrmann way. And now we have this Marilyn Monroe one, which is done in an extremely nihilistic way, which feels very Andrew Dominic. Yeah. Um, and you didn't, you weren't, you didn't find the visuals compelling or like, I'm sure oh, it's I mean, very well shot. It's very well shot, but there's also, I mean, I have, like, there's also I, two, two CGI fetuses. Like what the oh fuck? Oh God, we didn't even talk about, we didn't no, even talk we about, that. about the, the abortion scenes, the oh pregnancies that appear. I've seen people say they're like almost, pro-life in their in their depictions there's there's a really really bad moment that i didn't get to in my review because i mean there's so much to talk about in this but there's a there's a gag after she has Uh, watch your watch your watch your tongue there gag what scene are you talking about there's oh geez oh boy Uh, so there's a joke there's a (laughs) joke thank you afterwards and it the the song playing on the soundtrack is bye bye baby and i rolled my eyes so hard that I'm surprised I can actually see straight forward right now that they're not in the back of my brain because it is just atrocious on a technical level. Yeah, it looks great, but there are some issues here in terms of aspect ratio and when it switches from color to black and white and black and white to color and why it does so there's no internal logic either narratively or thematically to those changes that I could see. Sometimes the aspect ratio shifts are because of memory. Sometimes it becomes a dreams. Sometimes it's just because uh, Arthur Miller dropped the photo on the sidewalk. And so they, they have to show that in glorious widescreen when they've established before that it's all about Marilyn's internal life. There are, I mean, yeah, it looks great, but there's no point that I could find to any of those. Yeah. Uh, I stylistic mean, flourishes. it's definitely not for everybody. This is a movie that is like every scene is as expressionistic as possible. It is just yeah. as bombastic as it can be. It wants to offend. And I think it does. And it's prods in interesting ways. 
I was struck by a couple scenes in particular. Like there's a scene where she looks so exactly like Marilyn Monroe that it's impossible to tell if it's her or like a photo of her. And you'd think you'd recognize her, but as the camera pans in, you realize it's just a trick and it actually is Anna de Armas. And I think that's like a very good shot that really gets at what the movie's doing that says like, you know, you think you know, but you have no idea type of thing where uh, you think you know what this looks like, but actually you don't. And the whole movie is just constantly fucking with um, that idea. And I don't know. It's, it's definitely an experience to be had. And I'm really glad I saw it in the theater. And I don't think, you know, most people won't do that. And I do not no. think most people are going to finish this at home. <laughs> it's um, definitely a tough sell. I don't know, man. I am trying to find the words. Did I write anything else down about this? Um, you know, all of our myths in America are based on horrors. And I feel like I wrote, I wrote down, it's almost Forrest Gumpian <laughs> in its structure. <laughs> in terms it of almost like, is. It almost is Forrest Gumpian, like where it's like throwing her into like these situations. But like she was, you know, she actually did famously do all the, like had that moments real. Then she met the president. Of course, that moment, who knows how real that is. So you know, knowing, stating that it's not for everybody up top, I'm going to say that I cautiously recommend Blonde, but it's a movie that just beats you into a pulp with its message about, you know, isn't it lonely being, you know, an American myth? (laughs) And I, I enjoyed the, the ride of being poked and prodded and felt and made to feel uncomfortable, but I appreciate that so many won't. But I do think the film has artistic merit, which is where I think you and I completely disagree, which is fun. We don't disagree very often. We don't, but we kind of, yeah, this one's, yeah, this one's going to be divisive. I mean, yeah, it's hard to argue that it's like, yes, of course, it's repetitive because it just, it keeps harping on the same things, but it ultimately tells this story in such a grandiose way and like ties it into the cosmos. And like, I just found it so affecting. If, if you're in the bag for it, you will end up being like moved by it and haunted by it. And it'll make you think about like, I mean, we've, how many movies in the past decade or in the past few years even have been like, "Mm, maybe the old days weren't so good. Like that was last night. I feel in, like a this lot. Is like last night in Soho, <laughs> which I thought was horrible. But to me, this is like a better version of last night in Soho. <laughs> what a weird comparison! I just pulled out. <laughs> anyway, I we forgot to rate the other one, so I'll do a quick rate. You, I saw. I know what you gave this. I love it. Yeah. Mark gives Blonde one trademarked Roger Ebert thumbs up thumb out of four. Yeah, definitely not up. <laughs> definitely not up. It's just the thumb. It's neutral. It's a neutral thumb. It is one. <laughs> when there's only one, it is it is not positive. Um, and I'm giving it. I'm gonna go ahead and give it three and a half out of four. A very provocative rating. For what? Me. A very wait, provocative no, wait, three and a half. Wait. Oh, I've been going, oh, wait. As I say, I've been sitting on oh. it all day, or for however a day and a half now. Or just oh yeah, just I saw it yesterday morning, and ever since then, it's been just you know eating at me in my mind. Like I think I rated it too low. Uh, it's one of those movies that I know is going. I'm going to watch again and have strong feelings about one way or the other. Oh um, man, I wish I'd known you had that strong feelings. We would <laughs> we could add an actual like old fashioned Siskel Ebert debate here. We could maybe, brawl. Well, maybe what, after we go. rewatch it, 
No. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I got my boxing gloves on, man. What do you want to yeah. say to me? I'll I don't want to say it. anything to you personally, but yeah. man, this movie is just, oh, God. Oh, my friend compared it, uh, Jacob Knight, friend of the show. He was on the first episode. He said to me, we were DMing about it. He's struck by the similarities between Firewalk with me's Laura Palmer and Norma Jean. Two supernova objects of obsession for every man they encounter. Horribly abused by systems that should protect them. And in the end, undone because of their desire to break free from being coveted. Uh, there's a lot of good writing on this movie, and I'm excited to read it. Mark's review is great, even though it's a pan. You should all you should read it. Uh, you should always read Mark's reviews, markreviewsmovies.com and Mark Reviews on Twitter, and you can get on his Patreon as well. That's enough about Blonde. Let's get right into a movie that, spoiler alert, I'm going to rate one star out of four. Oh boy. I fucking hated this movie. <laughs> about, about as much as you hated Blonde, if not more. Um, and it's so much less offensive, but <laughs> for me, it's way more offensive. <laughs> Let, let's get into See How They Run, a movie, let's see, directed by... An algorithm programmed to Wes Anderson? Huh. Just kidding. It's actually directed by a, a human person. Here we go. Victim's name is Leo Kopernik, sir. Seems he was killed in the costume store. And then he was deposited here. Staged, so to speak. Sorry, sir. How much longer do you intend to hold us all hostage? Or is that the idea? Gather all the suspects and interrogate each of us in turn until the mystery is solved? Marvin Cochranaris, overrated playwright. Celebrated playwright? Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I can't read my own handwriting. There was an incident. I'll kill you. <gasps> it's as good as a confession. It's not jump to conclusions, Castor. What do we have here? <laughs> Working late, huh? He killed Copernic to hush up the affair. Case closed. Well, this movie is very on the nose about what it's about. It's a it's a Agatha Christie style whodunit, but it's a meta take on it where the characters in the in the film, the, uh, the some of them star in an Agatha Christie production. Isn't that fun? Uh, my problem with this movie, which I found absolutely excruciating and unfunny, uh, it's so it's so self-satisfied with its meta whodunit about a whodunit, and it's so try-hard, sticky bullshit that's tired from frame one, and I can't believe there's no twist to it beyond... Nope, it's just a whodunit about a whodunit, and we're going to keep referencing things from whodunits and looking at the camera and winking. It's just absolutely insufferable as a movie. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Thankfully, it's like 90-something minutes, and it kind of flies by. But at least it announces itself as wink-wink insufferable from the first fucking scene. So you don't, you don't need to waste your time if you're not on board with that, which I wasn't. But I, for the purposes of this podcast, I sat through it. But as I joked earlier, it's like an algorithm was programmed to make this by inputting Agatha Christie, Diet Wes Anderson, and Meta. And I'm particularly struck by the complete and utter uselessness of all the attempts to add visual flair. There's like split screens that add nothing of value, like a split screen of a guy walking. It'll show you it from two angles. It's just so bad. The only laughs I got in this movie came from how badly 
those elements were deployed. I found it to be completely embarrassing. Anytime it is aping like a Wes shot or a Wes quirk, like a little, like someone's card or something, I just rolled my eyes. I just think it's such amateur hour and I have no idea how it got made in 2022. It feels like, is this still, we're getting like post knives out murder mystery runoff still. We got two Kenneth Brunog Perot movies. I'm sure there were other examples. We got this one and we got the new knives out coming out. But man, I really didn't like this at all. I, I, I don't think it has anything going for it. Maybe a fun Saoirse Ronan performance, but I just mostly felt bad for her. Oh, yeah, she's... I really liked her in this, um, and I liked the idea of it <laughs> a lot more than you, um, because I, I think I think I, I think I tweeted at you, like, direct message. I said something like, that it, this movie should be, like, catnip for me. It's, it's a period piece about the backstage shenanigans in a theater that is also a murder mystery about how predictable murder mysteries are and also how maybe people who are involved in a theatrical production of a murder mystery might not be the best people to try to solve a murder mystery. It feels like, I don't know, a Tom Stoppard play, uh, which is um, kind of an on the nose (laughs) reference. When you, if you know that if you're in the know, the Tom Stoppard basically wrote a play very much similar to this one at least in terms of what it's trying to do, you understand why Sam Rockwell, Sam Rockwell's character is Inspector Stoppard. There yeah. are a lot of in-jokes in here. A lot of them have to do with the very real production of The Mousetrap, which is still going strong in London's West End. Um, and it feels as if, if you don't know that play, if it feels as if, if you don't know the setup and the background to it, you are going to be lost in this movie. And even knowing at least some basics of these things, I felt lost because the screenplay does not set up properly anything in terms of its jokes, in terms of its satire, in terms of what it's referencing and why it's referencing it and how it's making the connections between what Christie's play is doing, what the screenplay itself is doing, because there, there is a twist here, obviously, because it's a murder mystery. There's a big reveal at the end. And a key to understanding it is understanding the background of the mousetrap. And there are just like throwaway lines about the inspiration for that play and all that. And I feel as if it either it's because they realize like we can't give too much away or it gives away the entire big twist or they just yeah. really didn't care that much. And they thought, oh, that's it's, a popular it's not, play. It's not a very good twist either. Like, I, no, it's not. I didn't it's find not. it to be like a compelling like, uh like I, even death on the Nile gave me like a satisfying, I thought ending, or, or at least it worked yeah, out for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, actually an actual Agatha Christie mystery is going to end satisfactorily yes. because yes, she, exactly. she knows what she's doing. You yes. could say she's kind of an expert at it. Yeah. She's kind know? of good at this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So when you try this movie to seems to have a lot of fun with the idea of Agatha Christie existing and being a person, like she's a character in this movie, technically, oh, but like, Oh man, off screen. Or what a great setup. What a great setup for the third they, act of this movie to actually have the author of the play who and would be don't. an expert on and you don't do anything with it. It's more about like her archaeologist friend. <laughs> and that's such a weird scene. There are some I like I said, there's some good ideas here. In general, I think the performances are fun. You got, you know, Sam Rockwell being just sort of like an absent-minded inspector, which makes a lot of sense 
you know, again, with the name of his character. I love him a lot, else. but he did nothing for me really here. I just, yeah. felt, I just felt bad for everybody here. And like, yeah. this movie's idea of humor is saying, is Adrian Brody saying like, over narration, like, you've seen one detective film, you've seen them all. And I'm like, okay, so you're going to like, do something to subvert that, right? And like, you make would think me, so. You would think if you're going to call out specifically the conventions of these movies that they'd have some way around escaping them right but yeah. no the movie just is content to be like mm, isn't it so predictable and then it just is <laughs> it's just i can't believe that this movie exists as in its form because it's just constantly winking nodding mentioning like well this is the setup for a murder mystery isn't it here's a dead body it's like this would have been compelling like 50 years ago maybe like before, I feel like even in the era when these movies were made all the time, that there had to be a parody of these things already then. Like, it just seems so tired. I just can't believe... I would love to know why and how this existed. Do you also feel like a why pang? Or did, I guess it's all explained by I Knives mean, Out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of... Yeah, I think the success of Knives Out is helping a lot. But also, I mean, Murder on the Orient Express, I think, did pretty well yeah, um, when it came it out. Too. And I like I like that one. Um less death on the Nile. I mean, I like these kind of things, but this one's just, it sets up so much and it, without actually establishing the things it needs to establish, you need to do a lot and you need it much better. If you're going to reference the mousetrap, you need a much better solution to the mystery than what they give us here. Because the joke is one of the jokes that is never explained is that, you know, the mousetrap's a really good mystery. (laughs) It's got a really good ending that is intentionally never revealed by anybody, really. Um, and so you really need to have something that at least matches or tries to match it. And this one doesn't come close to it. It's, yeah, it's a bit too winky and naughty without really um, giving you a sense of why it's winking and yeah. naughty. That stuff. Very unearned winks and nods there. Yeah. One out of four. Two out of four. Very like, kind. Of, very kind of you. Yeah, it is kind. I, I like. I said, I like some of the performances. Oops, I am already oh. jumping the gun here. We're gonna get to the trailer for the next movie, The Woman King, Gina Prince Blythewood joint. Let's go. An evil is coming that threatens our kingdom, our freedom. But we have a weapon. They are not prepared for. My king, the Europeans wish to conquer us. They will not stop until the whole of Africa is theirs. We must fight back for our people. Maneska, you are asking me to take them to war. Some things are worth fighting for. I really wanted to like this movie. I found that Gina... I really liked the director, Gina Prince-Bythewood. Most famous for what? Love and Basketball. And then she did Secret Life of Bees, which I think was also a hit. And then she did Beyond the Lights, which was not a hit. Didn't make any money. But critics loved it, including this one. I saw it in theaters, thought it was great. And then I want to say her next thing, maybe there's something in between, 
But then she did like a big splashy Netflix thing. It's like that superhero quote unquote movie with Charlize Theron. It's called The Old Guard. And it had so much hype from people. And I just completely do not understand the love for that movie. I thought it was horrible. So my expectations for this were like whatever. And it's definitely not The Old Guard. It's definitely a better movie than The Old Guard. But The Woman King is all is definitely still like a two and a half star at best experience for me. Um, I really wanted to like it. It has all the like pieces of a good historical epic. It just also is like PG-13 rated and like doesn't go as far as you want it to and has very generic storytelling and relationship stuff. Um, I just I wasn't as compelled by this as some of my colleagues were. What did, what did you think? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm also mixed on it. It's, ah, uh, man, it's hard to, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important story in a big way because we don't see, um, this side of history portrayed in movies, <laughs> uh, often if ever, sure. um, I mean, a, a few people are probably going to go into this, uh, like in terms of mainstream movie audiences, knowing anything about the kingdom of Dahomey, uh, which is like the biggest, kingdom most famous contemporarily kingdom in west africa and or possibly even the entire continent of africa at the time it's set which is in the um in the mid 1800s um and so i mean it's you know it feels new and it feels unique and it feels like something that we haven't seen before and that's great um, in, in some respects mm-hmm. i think but then in other respects it's like through going it's like by the numbers i felt like oh yeah oh i yeah. mean i mean just the the existence of the movie yes. it's a great idea it's a great uh opportunity to see history that we don't get to see and read about in textbooks or yes. in the movies that's great the story itself leaves a lot to be desired though because it is just sort of like a bunch of cliched situations you have the coming of age story you have a couple of training montages because the entire setup, I mean, did we even get into it? It's based yeah, on yeah. this group of women warriors in the kingdom of Dahomey who are, you know, in service of the king and they are going around rescuing at the time they are rescuing people who have been captured by this larger empire. I think it's the Oyo empire. Um, and they are trying to save these people. Um, and there's some discussions about, you know, slavery at the time and the participation of certain uh, kingdoms within and the influence that the Europeans have. There's a really succinct way of putting it that it's, you know, the slavery trade at the time within Africa and outside of Africa just became a vicious circle where in order to maintain power that, you know, is within these, you know, these nations that they, you know, participated in it to get the the weapons and ammunition and all of this stuff to be able to hold power over, you know, other nations that are trying to kidnap their people to sell into slavery it's i mean it's it's really smartly done it's a good piece of historical background um and it would have been nice if there had been some kind of um story revolving around that but instead it just kind of feels as if it sets up a couple of different conflicts there's a um there's like a general who represents the the larger empire that's trying to take Dahomey over um and he has a personal history to viola davis's character um there's there's just a lot of you know kind of generic melodrama stuff going on in the background that doesn't fit what seems like a grand attempt yeah yeah it gets it it has a very boring middle this movie it does it's it's setting up a lot 
in terms of history and in terms of characters, and it never quite pays them off in a satisfying way. And it's a uh, shame because the the three uh, I would say there's like three really great central mm-hmm. performances. Viola Davis is good. Tuso uh, yeah. Mabudu uh, Ma- is Mabidu. Mabidu is very good, and yeah. Lashana Lynch is great. But yeah. it's a bummer because like that's all I really have to say about it. I'm like, there's some good performances in this movie that has a pretty weak script and like. I found I see people talking about how like gripping and exciting and it is. I'm just like I found the action so generically like poorly cut and yeah. uh just it didn't have any impact at all. And this movie like I feel like in medieval I said one of the compliments I had for it was like even if you didn't like it like it has really brutal violence that makes you feel like you're in the battle in a medieval time. And this movie is the most sanitized version of epic historical war fighting you'll ever see probably it just i mean you don't really see I, blood yeah i wouldn't go that far i think that i think that it there are some you know gruesome moments that are at least suggested and sometimes sure. sometimes shown i think it kind of pushes the limit of a pg-13 to oh, wow. a degree to a point I agree well, I mean, yeah to a point where i mean you could there's probably a director's cut that's going to add like maybe about 30 seconds of violence and yeah, gonna, let's do you know, it. Jump up to an R. My star rating would go up significantly. <laughs> but I think, you know, I think it does kind of push the limit. There's some of it in there that's like, I think, but that's just me. I mean, on the other hand, I think that, you know, going back to the MPAA, where I think the blonde NC 17 rating is a joke, but oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, they're so weird. It's like you have the suggestion. Well, they really of don't like sex. it goes up. Yeah, they, they don't really like don't, sex, but and there's a simulated gets, blowjob in that movie, so that's yeah. that's but this enough. gets this gets PG 13, and I mean, whatever, it's fine. I mean, I just it's not to, I'm not trying to pick on the woman, but like, there are so many people in my feed that I feel like I have to call it out as like, there's so many people who are championing, championing cheetah prince blythewood and i'm all for it like i as i said i really like those first few movies especially beyond the lights but like i feel like she's a great writer and she's good with characters and moments but like i haven't seen anything that shows that she's like this amazing director that can like pull off something like this like i thought this lacked any sort of style to it like i don't i don't know i just don't see like the the vulgar all tourists gina prince blythewood people uh, I just don't get. I just don't see it, but I'm open to the idea. But I think the script here is the biggest issue. The production design and like the the uh, the costumes, all that stuff is. Oh great. yeah, yeah, and it looks great in terms of that. It looks great. I just wish I wasn't bored out of my mind for most of this movie. Uh, maybe that's yeah. a me problem, but it's definitely a two and a half star out of four effort for me. Yeah, that's what I'm giving it to. Excuse me. Two and a half trademark Roger Ebert thumbs. I don't know if the the stars are going to come at me. Whoever Uh, owns the star rating. No one owns the stars. No one. The cosmos are going to come after me. Um, All right. We're going to talk about a movie next that I hadn't even heard of. Oddly, until my wife saw Where the Crawdads Sing like the other day, like weeks beyond its release date and came home saying, I want to watch the silent twins because they, they showed a trailer for that. And I had never heard of it. And I was like, actually I just got a screener of that this afternoon because Mark had told me that I need to watch it or whatever, that it's coming out. So I did, we watched it. Here's the trailer for the silent twins, which I'm assuming most of you haven't heard of. Hello, June. Hello, Jennifer. 
I've recorded some questions here, and I've left enough space for you to answer. What do you think of your new school? Which do you like better, sunshine or rain? How was your day, girls? <laughs> spoke to me, and then it was just less and less, you know? If there's something you want to communicate, you best say it now. Jennifer, Joe, how would you describe your personalities? I think you might be a bad influence on each other. It might be an idea to split you up for a while. We will move the girls into special education. Why won't you say anything? We'll get them to talk yet. Guilty or not guilty? You need to take care of yourself. At least say something. How do you plead? They shall be institutionalized indefinitely. Very intense trailer for a not that intense movie, I would say. Um, I asked you before I watched it, like, was it any good? And you said, it's interesting. And... (laughs) I mean, after watching it, that's exactly what I would have said had you asked me. And that, I think, is like, it's kind of a damning thing to say about a movie because it clearly means there's not a lot going for it besides the fact that, like, it had an interesting premise, but clearly it didn't realize it. Like, that's that's kind of inferred from that sentence. And that is what I'm saying. Um, I found this to be so intriguing, an intriguing true story premise that I'll have Mark get into detail on because I'm bad at explaining things. Um, it has some inspired visuals and quirky artistic flourishes and some good performances, but it's still ultimately like this kind of a mess that never really comes together. And you never get a sense of who these people were and why they did what they did. It's like a character study of real people that is disinterested in the actual people. Did you find it? Did you find that to be the, the case as well? Um, yeah, kind of. I think it's, it's interesting because it is a true story. Um, June and Jennifer Gibbons were identical twins who uh, at some point just stopped talking to other people, except they started talking to each, they were talking, they talked to each other in private and away from other people. Um, and they became, you know, ambitious, uh, aspiring writers. And, um, then they were institutionalized as, you know, in the trailer and then other stuff happens, but you know, that's, that gets into spoilery territory for a based on a true story drama, but it's, it is interesting because I think it's trying to evade the big questions because it is perhaps difficult to explain why these two people just kind of seemingly out of the blue, stop talking to each other. The movie tries to establish this idea that they felt like outsiders that they were bullied at school because they were the only two black kids in this school in um, somewhere in England. I think it's London, but I'm not a hundred percent certain, um, you know, stuff like that. It's just, I, I feel as if it doesn't, it's kind of doing, since we're talking about blonde again, it's kind of doing the opposite of blonde where it's, you know, blonde's trying to make everything seem miserable. This movie is trying to make everything that could be miserable. Yeah seem a little bit better seem nice yeah yeah it is a good in, that, that is a good insight because it's more about their internal life and their creative life and i did appreciate that there are some uh really interesting segments of trying to show the that imaginative playful side to them like it opens with 
the younger actors playing the twins doing like a radio DJ show and introducing the entire cast, including themselves. And it's a really cute moment where they're like it and introducing us. And they're yeah. so excited about it's it. It's this unconventional quasi documentary approach. That's like very intriguing up top. That's what I mean yeah. by intriguing. I was like, this is cool. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Um, so you have all these like moments of like stop motion animation where they are, they, the stories that they come up with are, dramatized in animation and it's you know i get what they're doing where it's like this this dichotomy of their internal lives were so interesting but because of all of these external forces that got them to stop talking to the outside world and they seemed antisocial and they seemed this particular way but they really weren't but it was just society or other people or something pushed them into this situation and because of that, they could never achieve what they could have achieved. And I, I, I get the idea. I get the idea. Yes. The way you describe it sounds like such a good movie. And it I, does. Wish that it, I wish that is what I saw. Yeah. It's, it's there, but it doesn't, it, the movie doesn't dramatize it enough. And by the time that it does reach that, that mental health institution where they end up, it does just become about this is what happened and isn't yeah, it terrible and, and isn't tough. it tragic yeah, yeah. And, and it doesn't from, like their perspective like it's a bummer <laughs> and like i don't enjoy watching it yeah it's it just is such a dramatic shift that it doesn't quite work because the movie has spent so long like avoiding i get that yeah it's trying to be like fantasy world harsh reality right like it's yeah. trying to mm-hmm. like do a dichotomy but it doesn't do a very good job of highlighting that yeah because you don't really get a sense of the two of them you were right about that it doesn't seem that interested in them as people beyond their creative lives or how miserable things became and it's that that jarring shift um i think that it loses a sense of these two characters in between there um yeah i it's unfortunate because it is and it is an interesting story it would potentially be worth telling again with a better insight into the characters and maybe how they became this way. And I don't know, just something else because it really does seem to be grasping for meaning and never coming up with much. Yeah. I I couldn't make head or tails of this one. I ended up giving it two trademarked Ebert thumbs out of four. What about you? Same, same here two two trademark thumbs. Yeah. Now, this is one I want to say we're going to have a passionate disagreement on. But the truth is, I saw it in at Sundance, which means I saw it in January. And for the first time on the show, I haven't had time to rewatch the thing that we're talking about. I just didn't reach out for a screener because, honestly, I was so bored by this movie when it came out. And I'm very open to the idea that I completely missed the forest for the trees and completely missed the message of the movie. And it was like, you know, day uh movie four in a day where i saw five movies or something but i'm i'm gonna let mark speak about it for the most part but here is the trailer for god's country did you see a red truck this morning in the canyon it was parked in my driveway i like hunters right i don't know i heard about you just didn't know it was this canyon. Did they threaten you at all? Not overtly, but I have definitely been made to feel threatened. Where are you from originally? 
New Orleans. I teach at the university. Out here, things are a little different. Most folks handle this sort of thing amongst themselves. I guess I'm not most folks. Should we call for backup? What backup? We've got two officers to cover 300 square miles. I don't feel safe. Mark, what is God's country? I'm asking because it's been six months and I, <laughs> I completely forgot it. No, the trailer does a pretty decent job of setting it up, but I'll let you. Yeah, continue. I think I think I think you'll have a fairly clear uh, reminiscence of it because it is a pretty simple bare bones plot. It's uh, Tendiwe Newton plays Sandra, who's a university professor out in somewhere in the American West among mountains, and she lives an isolated life in a cabin. Uh, previously with her mother who dies who's already dead at the start of this movie um she's saying a final farewell to her mother as her remains are cremated she goes home and um then suddenly the next day i believe a red pickup truck is sitting on her driveway she leaves a nice little note saying i'd prefer if you didn't park here and um that seems to be the end of it but then the next day the truck is there again um, and there's just this pair of hunters, they're a pair of brothers, and they find this route easier to get to where they're going to go hunting. And she doesn't appreciate the fact that they don't respect the rule of just, you know, leave your neighbor's property to themselves, to, a, you know, to your neighbors. And that's it. If they ask you to stop, stop. But they don't care. Um, and so it is just this kind of back and forth of this like a character. Cat, a cat and mouse slow burn anti-thrills thriller is i think yeah, how i would have described it then well i, I wouldn't like say anti i wouldn't say anti-thrills it is sort of slow burning quid pro quo escalation of tension between you know this woman who just wants to be left alone uh, it's a movie she, about playing by the rules and people yep. who don't and yep. like if we're not playing by the same rules we're fucked basically yeah yeah i mean that's it and i like i like it because it is just you know that simple of a theme that simple of a premise but i think the theme plays out well by establishing these characters and establishing this conflict by giving you some sense of you know tendyway newton's characters like yeah she's like a black woman in academia yep and how it's actually funny i think i saw that at the same festival where i saw master which is another movie it's like a horror movie about a black woman in academia and it was interesting to see these at the same festival that but would be an interesting double feature. It would actually. be, but they're two, they're very different movies. I actually, I'm on the weird, I think nobody liked Master, but I ended I up liked Master. Master. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, liked I it thought too, it was yeah. really clever, and I think people are completely like rude to that movie for it's like switched to a horror movie in the third act, which was like kind of the point. Like, I think people yeah. were, yeah. I don't think people got what that was going for. Um, but yeah, this is definitely not as bombastic as that movie it's def- it's it's just slow i remember being just bored I, I wish i had more to say uh i'm open to this movie being good but uh mark why <laughs> why would you say is it worth me giving it a second look i think it's worth getting a second look i mean you have i think you have a grasp of you know you said you didn't weren't 100 percent sure if you knew what it was about on a uh micro level or a macro level of what it's trying to say but i think you got it i liked yeah. it because the approach to it is based on these characters the way that all these tensions escalate feels logical and kind of insidious in a small like you know these people just don't like being told what to do um and you know newton's character is very set in her ways based on her background and you learn something about 
why she moved out to this remote place and what she discovered about what's, you know, her, her, her ideas about what society is were, you know, demolished by this one event. And then she comes here thinking, well, at least I'm not going to be bothered by other people in society only to have something like this happen after the tragedy of her mother, after, you know, all the stuff that's happening at the university where there's this discussion of whose voices should be heard at, at an academic institution. It's just all of these things piling up on her. And you have the sense that it could go, the movie could tell you one thing about society or it could go, go, go another way because there are scenes where she kind of connects to people and people connect with her. And there are other scenes where it's just, some of these people are just not going to be, you know, understand such a concept. And it, it feels like you don't know where it's going to go up until the very end. And that's, that's all I'll say about the ending is that I really did feel this sense of tension of like, what is this movie going to finally have to say based on this character that I've gotten to know and I understand her logic and I understand her reasons and I could see her going a certain way or going another way. And I believed the character and I believed what the movie had to say as, uh, as a, an adjective, I won't just say sure. okay. <laughs> as that lesson might be. Yeah. That's all I'll say about it. Yeah. I believe um, it. And it I, you're making me want to revisit it. So I'm going to abstain from rating it. You rated it. Three uh, out of four. Yep. Yep. Sounds about right. All he right. He's really good here. Very subtle, nuanced performance. Like just a lot of, you know, just kind of getting into this internalized view of this character and how she's dealing with all this stuff piling up on her. Really good. Right on. That's God's country. It is out now. And also out this week in IMAX exclusively, I believe, is the David Bowie documentary moon age daydream directed by brett morgan it is not a typical music doc and uh to its detriment and it's and and you should praise it for that i don't quite know how i feel about it at the moment we'll talk about it i just saw yesterday here's the trailer for moon age daydream Ever since I was 16, I was determined to have the greatest adventure that any one person could ever have. I'm an alligator. I'm a mama, papa calling for you. I'm the space invader. I'll be a rock and roller bitch for you. I'm right and right about the shoes. Are those men's shoes or women's shoes or bisexual shoes? They're shoe shoes, silly. That was actually a pretty good representation of the movie because the movie does feel like a jumbled YouTube clip rather than a cohesive narrative documentary. And clearly that approach is working for tons of people who see it. I've seen a lot of people praise this as like one of the coolest music docs they've ever seen. They've had an amazing time watching it. Uh, I wish I felt that way. I just thought it was mostly very loud and um, uh, very edited, very edited. You know, together. I'm older than you, right? You just sounded like the old man in this conversation. I know. Well, <laughs> clearly... 
I feel like I was almost dozing off on this movie, and then like it would be very loud. I'd be like, oh my god, this movie's can a guy sleep around here? That's how I'm feeling. Watch this movie. Um, I don't know, man. I really don't. I, Brett Morgan is, I feel like, known for like letting his subjects speak for themselves. He doesn't have like talking heads, and that means basically, the Brett Morgan got through the Bowie estate, I guess, like all the footage that he sifted through. For this movie, it took five years or something to get through all the footage. It took a full year just to like digitize it all. And it's exclusive footage that we've never seen before, a lot of it. And he tries to use it in like this, I would say, borderline experiment. Like, I don't know how to describe a documentary like this. It's experimental in that it's just like, here's a scene. Here's a clip from a talk show. Here's him on stage. Here's him on a different talk show. Here's him in a movie that he starred in with narration over it. It's just, here's a clip of plan nine from outer space. There's a clip of plan nine from outer space. There's a lot of clips. There's a clip of like Nosferatu in there. Um, It's just like this multimedia art installation of a movie more than like a compelling doc that like held my interest for two hours and 15 minutes. I just, I don't feel like I really learned a lot about david bowie i love david bowie i love his music i think he's an interesting person and i think this movie is just like so interested in like trying to like sum him up you know what i mean like using his own words to sum him up and what is david bowie about what does he mean and i just think it's so involved in trying to tell some sort of story through the editing that the actual interesting stuff gets lost i guess i really enjoyed of course seeing all the concert footage it sounds and looks great but it's not enough of it and it just felt very like youtube compilation rather than like a documentary that's like well directed and is going to win an oscar or something it didn't it didn't really work for me yeah to praise it right off the bat the music is great and i'm not oh, just yeah, talking about the bowie song i'm not just talking about the bowie song i mean there are new versions and mixes of bowie songs that you know are really famous there's this really fantastic way that you know morgan and his team put together studio recordings and live performances and i don't even know if it's a single live performance or multiple ones it's hard to tell because there are clips from multiple performances when some of these songs are playing but the mixes are really really fantastic um I love the version of heroes in this. I might like it a little bit more than the studio version because it does meld the studio version with this live, almost improvised. It feels like the the band is just like, like riffing on these certain things when it's playing, it works really well. That's what I'm going to say. The music's great. The concert footage is great. Great performance of all the young dudes. Yeah. uh, Early on, which is like, you know, the song David Bowie wrote and gave to Mott the hoople. Uh, that I think is famously on the Juno soundtrack. But yeah. uh, um, they did. Um, there's a Beatles cover in this that I had never heard before, which is great. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're here for the music, you're going to really enjoy it. And if you're here for a biography of David Bowie, um, you're going to kind of get it. And because it does as much as it goes, it feels like unmoored from time. There's no set timeline, but you, there is also a very strict timeline in that here's Bowie, here's young Bowie just starting off. And it goes from there through basically, I think the eighties. And then it kind of stops and fast forwards really quick to, to suggest that, Oh yeah. He also kind of kept working and, you know, eventually died. And it just, 
So there is a there is a straightforward biographical movie in here, but it doesn't really care about that. It really cares about what Bowie had to say about life and art, and the way that some of those interviews are just cut together. And so, sometimes they also don't feel like they're connected to any specific period in his life. They because he there's a very there's a very tricky way that Morgan cuts to make it seem as if he's evolving or changing his views, but you never really know because don't forget Bowie's famous and they keep bringing it up in these interviews, Bowie's famous for, you know, onstage personas and incorporating those into public appearances. And so it just feels kind of like you're just, you're just fooling with us to make a point about life and art. And I think that's the big problem with the movie is that it feels like a Brett Morgan movie and experiment and it doesn't feel like a david bowie movie too often it does not feel like a david bowie movie it feels like brett morgan playing with form playing with editing doing a fine job with it but concentrating more on the tricks he can pull off than on telling a story about david bowie and his influence and giving us what we really want which is the music and the concert yeah i agree completely that's exactly what i was trying to get at like it's kind of deceptive in its editing. And I think it was at a Q&A where Brett Morgan revealed he doesn't even like David Bowie that much. And like, I think that that kind of <laughs> says it all. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really wanted to love this because I love Bowie and I wanted to take my wife to it. But the runtime and people telling me it wasn't good kept me from like making it a date night. And I'm glad I didn't because I feel like she wouldn't have cared for this very much. But now I'm, now I'm <laughs> my wife is giving phantom reviews on the show, even though she hasn't <laughs> seen things. So I'm giving it two out of four. Two, I'm maybe yeah. two and a half. I don't know. Two. Yeah, I'm giving it a slightly more generous two and a half just because I think... I think the idea behind it is intriguing. And I mean, every single time there's music playing, which is a lot. I was, you know, at least hooked yeah, on that level. I was definitely happy at at those moments, too. I was yeah. enjoying those moments. Uh, it's it's just a lot to ask two and a half hours of this type of thing. Um, the next movie is something that I'm also surprised exists and is getting a theatrical release and it. I hadn't even heard, hadn't even seen this trailer or heard it was coming out. So it's always a surprise. But here is the trailer for Confess Fletch, which, yes, is the third Fletch movie after two in the 80s starring Chevy Chase. This one stars Mad Men's John Hamm. Here you go. Confess Fletch. My father's paintings were stolen. The Picasso was appraised at $20 million. Well, it hardly seems worth stealing. You're not a detective. But I was an investigative reporter. It's an occupation that's been cheapened by the digital age, like president. Earl Maurice Fletcher. They caught me in the middle of a yawn. Can you imagine that? Who killed this young woman? I think the victim interrupted an art theft. Your fingerprints are on the murder weapon, and someone matching your description was seen with the victim. Come back with me to police headquarters. I get it. You want my help? Okay. Hey, guys, is there a way we can call in a coffee order a kill for a macchiato? Not literally. I looked into your criminal record. And? You're a bit of a shady character, Mr. Fletcher. But I am adorable. If you did kill that girl, do the right thing and give me an exclusive. Let's talk about the suspects. Countess de Grazia married Papa for his money. Somehow she's involved. Flesh. She's trying to seduce me. Quite the collection of uh, precious you have here. Those are reproductions. That's how we introduce my children. The trailer, I will say, 
makes John Hamm look less funny than he is in this movie. I think he's very funny. I think that trailer is kind of awkwardly cut. Uh, something that comedy fans, especially like comedy bang bang podcast comedy fans, something comedy fans have known for a long time is that John Hamm is naturally hilarious. Very funny guy. You'd never know it from his several comedy films that he starred in, but he's a very funny guy who has yet to star in a good comedy. And I think finally he's in a comedy that knows how to use him. And I quite enjoyed this movie. I hadn't seen a Fletch movie. I know they're like, you know, some people who grew up in the eighties, definitely like a soft spot for these, those movies. And for, for a time when Chevy Chase starred in movies, I know a lot of people love them. So I actually watched the original Fletch right before it just to see what I was getting into. And I enjoyed that too. But I would say, you know, how many situations in life would John Hamm replacing Chevy Chase not be an upgrade? Because I think it's an upgrade, an undeniable upgrade. But it's a different take on the character. And from what I understand, it's uh, these uh, Fletch is based on a series of books. And I think, you know, to me, they play like Philip Marlowe style noir detective stories with like, you know, a sense of humor and, you know, the Chevy Chase ones were heavy on like disguises and him like pretending to be other people. This one kind of loses that and is more in the vein of like a, like an actual Philip Marlowe thing, actually. Uh, what did you think of this movie? Uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by it. I was not really expecting anything because, I mean, the last Fletch movie was, I think, in 89. And yeah, nobody um, liked and it. It's, Fletch and lives. it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Allegedly, I haven't, I haven't watched oh, Fletch Lives yet, but it's on okay, my it's hard bad. drive. Yeah. yeah, it's bad. Um, yeah, the first Fletch is good, and I mean, you know, Chevy Chase is great in that role. Um, but this one, you know, I mean, John Hamm is quite good here, and it's he works because yeah, he does have this kind of deadpan, smartass way of going about, but he's also naturally charming. I mean, that's the, the line. I'm also adorable. I mean, he is, he's, he's really charming guy, which, you know, Chevy chase doesn't quite have, um, that quality intentionally. That's his persona, but you know, John Hamm plays this character who is an amateur investigator, but mostly a con man because he does, he doesn't do disguises. What he does is in this one is he just goes around telling people kind of what they want to hear and yes. saying, I'm this person who, feeds your ego basically like he pretends to be a, a style editor for i think it's the ex-wife of one of his suspects so and because she's just obsessed with being famous and everything um that she just buys it because that's what she wants to hear and i like the character and i like the idea behind the character and the movie just lets the character be the character in a in a decent mystery which is key because yeah, the mystery like, is like, important. It's like Shane Blackian or Soderberghian in a way, but I think that's giving it a little too much credit, but like it's yeah. trying to be something like that. Yeah, it's fine. It's a fine mystery. All it's the pieces fine. connect. I agree. All the pieces, and that's, that's. I mean, that's better than you could say for another mystery that we covered. It's better yeah. than see how, the better than the mystery and see how they run. It makes more logical sense. It has yeah. a more specific tone to it. Um, and then, yeah, John Hamm is just right here. And, you know, a couple of actors could play either side of this character but i don't know how many could play this character to be smart ass and charming in equal measure as he does yeah it it works a, i mean it, that's the it's thing it's a great pairing like you read that this was like a passion project for john ham and he like begged greg to make it and you're like 
yeah, that, I love that he cared about this character enough. He knew he could pull it off. He knew this was actually a role that is for him. And I think he 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 was totally right. His instincts were totally right there. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this. There's not a lot to it. It is exactly what it says on the box. It's like a new Fletch detective movie starring John Hamm. It has a lot of funny side characters. Anna Mumo- yeah. Mumola from um, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar as the neighbor has a very funny scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, Roy Wood gets to play the straight man, but it's nice to see Roy Wood, the comedian in this. Uh, I thought this was a lot of fun. I, I don't... I, I, I see some people overrating it in a way that I'm like, I wish I liked it that much, but like I did enjoy it. It's just like, it's like lower key than like, it's just too low key and like nice to like be like, Oh, that was great. Like it was like, yeah, it was okay. That was pretty good. Um, I mean, I'm I can like, see that though. Cause it is, it does feel refreshing. It is. It just does feel refreshing to have like a solid mis- comedy mystery that we get where it's just about like, eccentric personalities who are literally you know actually eccentric and you know a main character who's funny and you know kind of smart but also i like that he can screw up and the movie acknowledges like he's not really a professional he doesn't quite know what he's doing it's just yeah i mean it just feels refreshing at a time yeah i agree with that there's a really great interview between uh, uh vadim rizov and uh greg matola on filmmaker magazine about the project and how it came to be i really enjoyed reading that so shout out to that and are you tired do we want to cover the ninth movie of- oh i'm i'm good to go if you are that's up to All you right, though we'll do it you're the host here's the trailer for the uh i, I want to say the seventh or eighth movie that naomi watts is in that's an english language remake uh it's definitely the second horror one i can think of she did michael haneke's funny games uh which was a shot for shot remake and now this is an austrian movie from 2014 or 15 i don't remember it was called good night mommy i didn't love it then and let's find out if i loved it now that it has naomi watts in it and a language i understand let's see hate that you have to see me like this but it's nothing to be afraid of Dad didn't say anything. I was hoping this could be our little secret. What do you think? What do you think she looks like under there? House rules. No running or shouting in the house. The barn. And my bedroom. Off limits. Did you see the original? I did. Did you like I it? S- I did. I saw it. I saw it um, twice, um, and I liked it both times. Um, so yeah, that's that's it. important because yeah. this movie has a twist in it that once you know what it is, arguably it could ruin the experience. So. You thought that the original worked on its own merits. Yep. Okay. Uh, you didn't like this one, I take it. I did not. No, I did not. <laughs> I agree. I think this movie, if if um, the original was, to me, a three-star movie, like just okay horror movie, this is like a one-and-a-half-star uh, version of that. It is... It's like they took all the horror stuff that worked and made it 
the memorable, scary movie that it is and just fucking took it all out. I have no idea who this movie is for. It's like a sanitized... I mean, I guess I understand who it's for. Like, it's supposed to be. It's clearly trying to be a audience-friendly, mainstream version of this twisted horror story. But then again, I ask, who is that for? Like, who wants the version of the the horror movie that's less scary and less disturbing? And more what? What do you gain from this version? That It's nothing. I think it's trying to be more of a psychological thriller or something. But that kind of upends itself. A, if you know the twist going in, which probably 90%, no, 60-40 of audiences probably know what it is. And the other 40 will probably know what it is anyway because the movie is so bad at like pretending it's a twist. And I thought I thought the same. I had the same problem with the original, to be honest with you, where it's like pretty obviously telegraphed. Um, but this one, I feel like maybe I'm just my you know my i can't see the movie without knowing it so i'm just projecting but it feels like the movie's not trying very hard to to to, to hide what's going on what do you, what do you think yeah so i kind of i mean to be honest i kind of forgot about the twist the big twist oh, okay. in the original sure. because yeah. the stuff that happens it's not the point it's not like the that, operative yeah it's not like yeah. what's memorable that is what's that's what's that's what's the big differences between these two is that what shocks you in the original is what happens before the twist. There's an extended climax here. That's just terrifying. Um, in the original, again, I need to clarify yes. that in the original, because this movie is the neutered watered down version, as you said of the original, where it, it takes all of the psychological elements and removes them. I think, I think it, I, cause I, if I remember correctly, the original has a lot of silence because that's kind of the key point is that, the, the mom character in that one wants some peace and damn quiet for once. And so the kids are being quiet and they're scheming and they're trying to figure out what's going on with this woman who they come to suspect. This is the plot. These kids come to suspect that their mother, whose ra- face is wrapped up in a bandage mask, isn't actually their mother. And so they come up with these plans to try to figure out who this woman could actually be and what happened to their mother. And in the original, it's all about like the kids kind of scheming in silence while the mother is just going about her business and you get this sense of like, yeah, I can get these kids being anxious about it because it's kind of scary not to recognize your mother. And you can also understand the mother just wanting to be free of the kids for a little bit while she's recovering. And just in general, there's this nice little level of sympathy for both sides of it. And so that makes the big climax even more horrifying. And yeah, all of that, that movie, I think it's removed. Yeah. That movie has like themes and ideas and yeah. like, you get you get why the kids think she's not their mom and you understand why she is so like you know m- quote unquote mean potentially in the in the kids mm-hmm. eyes or something in this one it just tells you everything like the, the dad drops off the kids in this one which is already like completely different and like not as destabilizing as the movie opening with the kids in the house with her already or whatever it is um it just I just can't believe you take something like this this property that the whole the whole selling point for the horror crowd is like how deranged it gets by the end and like the things the kids do to the mom and then just completely whiff it like they they removed it like what like they did yeah it's gone it's just not there anymore and what's there is not scary or compelling or interesting 
Um, just one of the just a total whiff of a of a remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely removes the entire point and what made the first one scary. And it does, yeah. Unfortunately, because they get rid of all the stuff that is terrifying in the first movie, the whole thing becomes about the twist by the end, and that twist is not good like i said i forgot about it as memorable as you might think it is it is it is predictable and generic as uh it's as as predictable and generic of a twist as you can get and uh, you know i just forgot about it (laughs) because it didn't matter to me um and so having it be the big cornerstone of the ending here just is a big letdown there's just the first one had like a primal fear to it that this one just doesn't have it all so therefore there's no thrills there's zero tension and all you're watching is like a mildly messed up story like it's just not that like it's, it's, once you remove that stuff there's no reason to even tell the story it just go watch the 2014 movie if you're at all interested in this and i'm trying to think of more naomi watts funny games was a remake the ring another horror remake that's another this horror remake she yeah. started in uh, so she's the officially the scream queen of foreign to U.S. King Kong. horror. King Kong, technically, we're, yeah, you can call that a horror yeah, movie. If you I would call to. I'd call the original <laughs> Kong a definitely horror a movie. remake. Yeah, yeah. Um, she does a lot of remakes. She loves them. This is definitely on the bottom of the pile for me. Um, I'm almost impressed with how bad it is, though. Like it's you took something that I kind of liked and made me really not like it. Like. I know I said I didn't like it initially, the original, but like I liked it enough to give it three out of five and say, like, I recommend it for horror fans, but I didn't like it for these reasons. I didn't think I thought the twist didn't work or whatever. But man, it still has that dread. And like, it's a horror movie where this is like some sanitized, glossy Amazon Prime, well shot version. Not well shot, but like it, like, like a commercial. It's like a TV commercial or something. It just, it feels. It feels wrong and it's not good. And um, I wonder if it'll be another 15 years before we get another English language remake of a foreign film starring Naomi Watts as a mom in which she is bound and gagged with duct tape in her own home. <laughs> we'll find out. Maybe. Stay we'll tuned. <laughs> yes. See you in 15 years. We'll answer that question. Thanks for listening to us review nine movies in an hour and 40 ish minutes. Um, we'll be back next week with one movie just kidding there's like a couple but it's mostly don't worry darling uh and which has no 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 you know peripheral story to talk about outside of the film there's no public relations disaster going on with that movie or anything uh so that's next week and oh is smile next week did smile get moved up uh did it according to imdb it is now coming out oh no IMDb okay. must have mislisted it because the poster says the 30th. IMDb says it's now out. On the and I'm not seeing it until the week of the 30th. So yeah, I'm seeing it. I believe the week. Uh, yeah. The 26th is when the screening is. Is that right? I think yeah, so. they sent me a screening invite. Yeah, it's the 26th. So we'll be talking about that in the following week. But next week is don't worry, darling. And you said there's a couple more. Yeah, there's a couple. We'll talk about it off. We'll we'll do some in, uh, behind yeah. the shot. I mean, that's how that's how slim pickings are. We got to talk off mic and figure this, this shit out. After this week, I'm good with you know. Yeah, two or three movies. That that's fine. Yeah, uh, maybe we we can review the re-release of Avatar. <laughs> talk about what we think of Avatar. Um, all right, this has been Roger Ebert and me with Brett Arnold and Mark Dusick. Goodbye. 
The show starts in one... Shut up. Ush. <laughs> <laughs> 